0: Well, nice to have you all here this morning, Uh, first service of the new year, and uh, we are going to do the service a little bit different this morning. I think we've been talking about that leading up to this. Uh, We are going to just give some time during the service for prayer. So Pastor uh, Lance, Pastor Britt, myself are each going to share a bit, and we're going to spend some time praying about needs, and uh, we're going to finish the service with communion together. So uh, I think a good way for us to start the new year.
1: I want to read a passage. Today we're going to talk about or at least my part we're going to talk about local missions and you know everywhere that we go and Squim and in our area we can see that there are people who are in need and I want you to know that this church is actively involved in serving the the needs of our local community and that's so incredibly important, right? To bloom where it is that God has planted you. And so just for this devotion today, I want us to to think about Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verses 11 and 12, it says, But the land you are crossing, the Jordan, to take possession of, is a land of mountains and valleys that drink rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. You know, every new year we stand on the verge of the unknown, don't we? I mean, imagine New Year's Day 3 years ago or 2 2 or 3 years ago before we knew about covid and all the stuff that that was going to bring and then all the surprises that that uh, whole entire year brought us good things, bad things, hard things, but we stand on the precipice of the unknown every new year because we don't know what 2023 is going to hold for us. But we know who does hold the future. Amen. I mean, what new experiences, what changes are going to come? What needs are going to arise? In all of our lives, there's going to be peaks and there's going to be valleys. There's going to be things to celebrate. There's going to be miracles to behold. There's going to be things, that sadness. But here in this passage is this cheering, comforting, gladdening message from the Heavenly Father that says, The Lord thy God cares for it, and God cares for you, and He cares for me, and He cares for our church and our community in 2023. And so we can acknowledge every new year that everything that is going to be supplied to us and for us this year comes from God. He's the giver of all good things. He's going to give us springs that aren't going to dry. There's going to be fountains and streams that are not going to be cut off. And so we don't have to approach 2023 with tremendous anxiety, because of this promise that God has given us. If He's going to be the source of our mercy, then those mercies can never fail us. There's no heat, there's no droughts that can parch that river. Deuteronomy says, "...the streams where the Lord makes glad the city of God. The land is a land of hills and valleys. It's not all smooth, it's not all downhill." If life were all one dead level, the same, the dull sameness would oppress us, right? We want the hills and the valleys, whether we realize it or not. If everything was a straight, even path, we would get bored with that eventually, and we would stop growing. The hills collect the rain for a hundred fruitful valleys, and so it is that grace showers us in this new year, right? Whatever it is, there's grace for that. I had a conversation yesterday or day before yesterday with somebody that was talking about things that maybe had had happened in their lives that they had regretted. And each time I said, there's grace for that. There's grace for that. And that's the good news of the new year and every new year. It's easy to think that we're gonna perish in the wilderness, that we're gonna be buried under its golden sands. But the reality is that that God is our strength and our refuge and that he's going to be with us. Every hill, every hard, rugged, steep climb that there is in 2023, God is going to be with us. God's hills are a gracious protection for his people. And so I want to just read this little poem here. It says, he leads us on by paths we did not know. Upward, he leads us. Though our steps be slow, though oft we faint and falter on the way, through storms and darkness oft obscure the day, yet when the clouds are gone, we know he leads us on. He leads us on through all the unquiet years, past all our dreamland hopes and doubts and fears. He guides our steps through all the tangled maze of sorrows, losses, and o'erclouded days. We know his will is done, and still he leads us on. And so march forward with confidence that God has already got 2023 before we even have to step into it.
2: So when uh, Tim invited us to think about a devotional for this morning, um, I was uh, asked to put on my global missions hat. And uh, so I've been thinking much about our beautiful, broken world um, in the last few weeks, And as a devotional this morning, I'm gonna read something from uh, an amazing devotional book called He Walks Among Us, Encounters with Christ in a Broken World. Uh, It was written by Richard and Renee Stearns. Richard was the president of World Vision. And it basically compiled stories of their travels all around the world and put them into a great, kind of a concise way of thinking about it. Each story is connected to a country. It's got a title, a little message, and then a verse. Uh, And this happens to be the last one of uh, the book, and so I wanted to share that with you this morning. The country is Mongolia. The title is Starry, Starry Night. Little subtitle is Don't Let Busyness Crowd Out God's Voice. And uh, Psalm 147.4 says he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Do you remember as a child shuffling out into the backyard on a warm August night in your pajamas and fuzzy slippers to watch the Perseid meteor shower? Tiny specks of dust, most no bigger than a grain of sand roaring into the atmosphere at speeds of 132,000 miles per hour lighting up the summer sky in a brilliant display of what we kids used to call shooting stars. Not one or two, but hundreds. It's one of nature's most amazing spectacles, if the conditions are right for viewing. You'll have a hard time seeing them if you are near a big city, and of course, we usually can't see them at all in Seattle, where we live, because it's likely to be raining or at least a bit overcast. But if you're standing on a remote hillside outside your tent in the middle of Mongolia, halfway between, between Ulaanbaatar and Karakorum, the view is pretty remarkable. So it was for me as I huddled with my family under a canopy of stars and witnessed a display of God's handiwork unlike any I dare say we will ever see again. And to think that most people probably missed it, not because they didn't want to see it, but because other things, street lamps, city lights, rain clouds got in the way. That happens to me too. I let unimportant things get in the way of what's really significant. I see small, hungry children like those we found living in tunnels under the streets of the capital city of Mongolia, and I am certain that I will never forget their thin little bodies or the look in their eyes. I determined to always remember their stories of how, homeless and abandoned, they sought shelter from the freezing temperatures of the harsh Mongolian winters by living underground in tunnels dug to house the steam pipes that run beneath the city but then I inadvertently let other things get in the way. When I return home from my travels and life resumes its normally hectic pace, I find it harder and harder to remember their faces. Just like the Perseid meteor shower hidden by city lights, those precious children are too easily obscured by a busy life filled with daily demands, by activities that in the moment seem so important but in the larger scheme of things really aren't. Yet, even though I don't see them in my mind's eye, the children are still there. And when the conditions are just right, when my heart is quiet, attentive to the prompting of God's Holy Spirit, I can see their faces as if it were yesterday. It turns out that in the same way God numbered the stars and calls them by name, he calls my name too. If I listen carefully enough, I can hear his still, small voice inviting me to join him in caring for those he loves. Amen.
0: We're going to take communion together this morning, but uh, I thought I would start with the passage that we often read when we come to the Lord's table. And uh, if we can put this up on the screen, uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... Now, there's a second part to this passage that uh, we don't always read during communion, but oftentimes we do, and it's, it's a bit more sobering. Here's what it says. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now that second part is probably not as popular to read because it sounds a little ominous, doesn't it? In fact, it gets even more disturbing if you read a bit further. It says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Okay, that's not a real happy thought for a Sunday morning. Uh, Judgment, sickness, death. Um, I actually have known people uh, who, on a regular basis, don't take communion specifically because they are pretty sure that they're not worthy, and and they don't want to run the risk of God's judgment. Uh, And yet there are others who feel nervous reading that warning because they think that maybe there is some forgotten or unconfessed sin in their life and that if they were to take communion maybe they're going to get punished because they they forgot that they weren't worthy And, and the question it brings up is is the Lord's table something that is only to be risked by folks who are like Mary Poppins practically perfect in every way which when you think about that would seem odd wouldn't it because the whole point of Christ's sacrifice his body broken, his blood spilled for us, was because we in ourselves are unworthy. We are sinful. That is why we need a savior. We need a perfect sacrifice because we are so imperfect. So for a lot of years, I think for myself growing up, I kind of struggled with this passage. It's like, well, here we are celebrating the one who gave himself for us because we are unworthy. And yet it feels like Paul is saying, well, be careful, because if you take this and you're unworthy, you shouldn't be taking it. That feels like quite a paradox there. But when you dig a little deeper, I think you see that's not exactly what Paul is talking about. Notice his concern is not that they would be unworthy, but that they would celebrate Christ's death in an unworthy manner. There's something about the way in which they were celebrating it. And that's where I think we need some context. Let me just give you a little bit fuller context. I want to take more time with this this morning because sometimes we breeze right through this and we get these misconceptions that that can mess with our whole understanding of what is it we're doing in the Lord's table. So let me take you back a little bit earlier. and, And this goes to verse 17. He says, in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better but for the worse. There's something about their gathering that he said is not good. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So he says there's certain divisions among you that I get. There may be some among you who are not truly believers. They they really have not accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. They haven't been joined into His body. So I understand that, that those people, there's going to be a certain kind of division that's there. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating... Each one goes ahead with his own meal. Now, when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, it wasn't in the more uh, kind of token, symbolic way that we do. We isolate the bread and the cup. But for them, it was part of a meal that they shared together, a feast together. He says, when you get together, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. My goodness, one person has nothing to eat while everyone else is having a meal. And he says, some of you need a designated car driver to get home afterwards. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you? No, I will not. And then it is that Paul gives that summary of the Lord's table that we're so familiar with. Right? I give to you what was passed on to me, that the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took the bread, took the cup. And then he finishes up this way. He says, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So what was the problem that he was getting at? What what was it that Paul was really concerned about? Their their meals were this sort of potluck sort of thing, but he says there are divisions in your church when you come together that um, are playing out even when it comes to how you eat together. Some of you bring a lot, and you eat a lot, and drink a lot. And others show up and they're just so out of luck. They, they come to a feast, but there is little for them to feast on. Now the question is, what, what was going on here? Why was this? Is it just that these people have really bad table manners that they don't share? Uh, the disparity could be for a couple of reasons. For one thing, you have differences of social status. One of the unique things about the early church was that you had the wealthy who gathered with the poor. You had Jews who gathered with Gentiles. You had slaves who gathered with those who owned slaves. And so we may see here the wealthy bringing big baskets to share with their wealthy friends, but then the poor, some of them who were probably slaves who were used to waiting on the wealthy, They were relegated to the place they always sat in, which was just watching from the sidelines. He says, In the body of Christ, those divisions do not belong here. What what you are used to out there in the world, that has no place here. There could have also been some conscience reasons involved. If you were to go back to chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians, you'll see Paul addressing this controversy that was dividing this church over whether or not food that had been bought in the marketplace that may have been ceremonially offered to idols before it was sold, there was this big debate about whether Christians should eat that food. And for some of these believers, there was a sense that, no, we shouldn't touch that because ceremonially it's been offered to a false god. And others said the false god means nothing. It's just a chunk of rock. I don't care what they set the food in front of. It's good food to eat. And so it may well be that there were those who brought, were bringing some of that food to the church dinner. And the result was some people saying, I don't think I can eat anything here because I don't believe it's permissible for me. And which left some of them abstaining due to conscience. They said there are some divisions that Paul is, is okay with. He says if it's a matter that someone's not a believer, yes, they, they don't really, they haven't joined yet with the body of Christ. But, but anyone who professes to be a true follower of Jesus who breaks this holy bread that remembers Christ's body broken for us, who lifts a cup in celebration and honor of Jesus' sacrifice, and yet does it in a way that is consumed with self-indulgence and with exclusions based on social class and who is maybe flaunting the freedoms that they claim to celebrate. He says, that's wrong. The emphasis isn't primarily on personal holiness, as it is on corporate unity and love. He says, if you come together to celebrate the Lord's table, but you do it in an unworthy manner, you bring back into the celebration of the unity, the family that Christ has created, you bring back in all the divisions of the world around, he says, "This, this brings judgment on you. I've had to ask myself, what are some ways that those kinds of things can creep into our fellowship today? We don't have, to nearly the degree, the kinds of class separation they did. And yet, are there ways that we, as the body of Christ, can allow that kind of schisms and separation and pride to creep into our fellowship? Uh, You know, one of the things that was so sad for a lot of pastors going through COVID was watching congregations suddenly become divided over things like health policies, and people who wouldn't fellowship together, people who would leave churches and and leave relationships over things that were truly a secondary matter in terms of our faith and our walk with Christ. And and so it's just a reminder to me that all of us can allow things to stand in the way of our fellowship with each other, and that when we come to the Lord's table, one of the things it should cause us to do is to take personal stock and say, are there things I have allowed to stand in the way of truly loving and accepting my brothers and sisters in Christ? That, I believe, is the real warning when Paul warns about don't take this in an unworthy manner, that we allow division to come into the body. Now, this is a relatively easy thing for me to talk about because I've always been grateful for what a unified body I'm privileged to serve in. So I don't talk about this because it's like I see some big brewing problem here, because I don't. But we are all just people. And and we do all sometimes fall into our own ruts. And and it's easy to begin to pull away from others. And and I felt as long as we're starting off this new year, if we're going to think about the Lord's table, maybe this is a good thing for us to start the year thinking about our own hearts. And say, Lord Jesus, are, are things right between me and those around me that nothing would stand in the way of being the kind of body that you have called us to be? Or is there some place where any sense of pride or status or superiority or offense taken has caused me to pull away? So what I'd like to do as we prepare for communion is give you a moment for some personal prayer. And the prayer isn't well, Lord, am I sure that I'm worthy enough to take communion? The reason we need communion is because we are unworthy, and he alone is worthy. But but ask the Lord to to open up your heart, and if there's a relationship that you have been pushing away from, uh, maybe a, a fight that's been allowed to go too far, some words of forgiveness to either give forgiveness or ask forgiveness that you need to start the new year with, Ask the Lord to show you what those things are. What is the next step for you to have real unity with that brother or sister where maybe there's been a division? So let me invite you, not in small groups, but just individually, this is a business for your heart, to take some time to pray.